are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. It's time for another digital noise, and that means, well, man, poor Aaron. I've been making him watch so many fucking movies. Oh, uh, this was like the piece de resistance. I, I feel like I've now had the schadenfreude fully in effect. I've talked so much about how you love me and appreciate me and give me nothing but good movies to watch, and then this episode This does happened. feel like an abusive relationship right yeah. now. <laughs> Just like, oh, I... I you're going to hear me say a lot of not nice things. We'll which, is, which isn't to say there aren't a lot of good movies to talk about yeah. this week or yeah, TV that's shows. That's true. There's a lot of good stuff and there's a lot of bad stuff. And there's a lot of stuff we're going to disagree about this week as well. But first, we'll get started. Of course, we are sponsored by Oscar Blues Brewing Company, which have brew pubs located in Austin, two in Colorado, one in North Carolina. Excellent place. Right now, I'm drinking Mama's Little Yellow Pills. Delicious beer from them. First craft brewery. So is, so is Aaron for that so matter. So am I. Uh, first craft brewery to put their beers in the can. They started that entire trend. They have so many great beers out there and they help out oneofus.net and you should support them. You should go out, you should go to the brewery or you should go to the store where you can buy pretty much anywhere in America. You can buy their beers. They're, they're distributed all over the place. They are decently strong too because this is not my first podcast of the night and I was previously having the Scotch Ale and I can feel it. <laughs> You're like, oh <laughs> yeah, baby, the old chub. <laughs> um, but yeah, please, big thanks to them. Support them. They are fantastic. Also, thank you to our subscribers. The only reason one of us.net exists is because of the subscribers. We can't do this without you guys. There's four different tier levels of s- subscription. Please think about becoming subscribers. $2, $5, $10, or $25. Honestly, no matter what your budget is, there's one of those that you wouldn't even notice coming out of your bank account every month, but we would notice. And it would make a huge difference to keeping this site going, keeping all these podcasts going, keeping one of us.net doing what we do. And quite frankly, for those of you out there who are already subscribers, if you have friends or family members who are into this kind of stuff, spread the love. Think of it like crowdfunding. The more people you get, the more shows that we can do. I myself just got one of my friends to subscribe. This is starting because to sound I've been like telling her about the breakfast pub and the gathering. I should totally just make this a pyramid scheme. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think I like where you're going with this. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, my goal is to get my mother to subscribe because that would make me so happy. Oh my goodness. Like, Mom, you're supporting the site. Now, if it doesn't stay around, hey, I can't do this anymore. Mom, there are all these shows that I do that you don't get to listen to unless you're a subscriber. So you want to check it out. There you go. Uh, but let's get started with the reviews. This is our home release show. We're going to start off with... All right. So we did a thing... Last show, the two of us together, which was literally the last show, uh, like, uh, uh, of this show, Digital Noise, cause like I said, poor Aaron has to do like three of these things in a row with, I think it's Albert Pyun. Yep. Is that his name? Who, who is the worst filmmaker I'm so proud of existing, but God, I hate you for making me watch this movie. Yeah, I made you watch Blast last week, which was a, it's a really bad, uh, diehard knockoff. And, and to his credit, this movie Crazy Six, I don't think it's a knockoff of anything except maybe just the 80s. Um, <laughs> I, I, it feels like a really, like, trying to be sexy 80s music video or, like, early 90s maybe. Uh, Rob Lowe 
playing a role unlike anything he's ever done before here is playing a junky street loser guy. I have to say, Rob Lowe disappears into this. He does. I did not realize that was Rob Lowe at first. I actually had to go look up an IMDb because I was like, wait, I know Rob Lowe is in this, but that does not look or sound like him. Yeah, he's like like working for gangsters, but... Sorta, kinda, and there's like two gangsters. One is Ice T, who they're ripping off, and the other is Mario Van Peebles, which you know, sign of quality for any given film. Hey, hey, hey! Uh, he was passable in the solo movie. Is that your know. defense? Is hey, that he was hey, I'm passable? About Star Wars solo. <laughs> I'm talking about the robot solo movie in the nineties. Uh, <laughs> And it's Rob Lowe caught between gangsters and there's lots and he's in love with a girl who who was a former junkie who you might know is the who is the primary love interest on that show Banshee. Um but she's like I don't know, she's everybody here is just doing their best to like look smoking smokily at the camera. Well, and and like it's all lots of slow motion and the whole thing is really just like it really feels like just one long music video where nothing uh, everything keeps feeling like they keep threatening for things to happen, but nothing actually well, ever happens. Here's the biggest thing, too, for me, and you. this is going to be a theme of the evening for me, is Albert Pune, clearly, he doesn't get a big budget when he makes movies, and so he works with what he can get. So this movie in particular, the locations suck. He tries, though. His nightclub is like a shitty warehouse with some gold drapes that he put up. But to combat this... He shoots things super close, so we don't really see much of the setting because of this, and I timed it. It is 16 minutes and 25 seconds before we get an establishing shot in this movie. And in that 16 minutes and 25 seconds, they cut back to the Russian girl from the the Banshee, Banshee. who is singing a song in a nightclub, Yeah, but they keep Cutting back to her with no reason why. It's a running thing. And she thing. keeps looking straight into the camera while she sings. It's just terrible. Uh, and then, like, uh, so in, apparently, like, the original theft was plutonium, which never becomes relevant on any way. And there's a scrawl at the beginning, something anti-drugs and Russian mafia uh, that's not relevant in any way to the rest of the film. And then, as if this film made any sense, no sense before that, Burt Reynolds shows up as, like, a good old boy cop who's working in Russia for some reason, which resembles Russia in no way, shape, or form, uh, who is trying to help the girl, and he's trying to do the right thing, but he's also a hard-as-nails cop, and I guess, I don't know. Fucking Burt Reynolds, this is not the... I know if Burt Reynolds hadn't just died, if they had known he was about to die, there's no way they would have reissued this. So here's the thing, and and I've I've realized the all-encompassing lesson of Albert Pune. So, there's this tenet you get with low-budget filmmakers, where you know your limitations and you take advantage of them, turn them into your strengths. Albert Pune doesn't do this. He gets his locations, and I feel like he writes a script to his locations. Agreed. But instead of going, all right, I only have a high school pool, so I'm going to write a movie about high school people, or I only have this shitty thing, I'm going to write it very limited. He goes, no, fuck it. I'm going to make this about this bar, but it's going to be about people stealing plutonium and three sets of gangsters and cocaine addiction. The terrorists are going to take over the entire USA Olympics, but it's only at a high school pool. And so it's never believable. Yeah. It just 
I just yeah. I didn't like it. I, I've definitely seen it. movies. There are directors out there that their whole thing is, I go into a movie, I see what we have available to us. Like I was listening to an interview with a uh, uh, Christopher McQuarrie about Mission Impossible, and he was like, "We didn't really have a script." That's not how we make these movies because it's all about the movie has to be gorgeous and it has to be awesome. Nobody really gives a shit like how good the plot is. The plot is there and it can be fine, but we're about making sure that all the set pieces work and making a plot that at least makes sense with the context of it. And we've got good people for that. So he's like, you know how we do this? We have the basic outline of the things we want to hit and then we have very high paid location scouts that go out and find, I'm like, just take a bunch of pictures of cool places in this city and then send them back to me and we'll let you know what we're going to get. And then they write the script around that as they go based on the locations they have. It doesn't hurt that you have a director who made one of my favorite movies of all time and one of the biggest production companies and stars in the world right now. What's your favorite movie of all time? Uh, Way of the Gun. Oh, fair enough. Love Way of the Gun. It was his debut movie. Well, let's talk about something uh, even worse than Crazy Six. Bullshit. I know. It's not worse than Crazy Six. I'm fine. <laughs> They'd be fighting words. But I wasn't mad at Crazy Six. I was mad at Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. I came out of it like going, what the fuck is wrong with you? How do you write a film, Derek Connolly and Colin Trevorrow? I'm looking at you because you wrote this film, as well as the last shitty Jurassic World film, that makes this little sense that has no, I mean, really, it's embarrassing the degree to which this film could give a fuck about the intelligence of its audience. There's just hole after hole after hole. And I don't mean those people who like get all excited about like, it's a plot hole because is that likely to have happened? It's like, yeah, it's not about likely. It's about whether or not it makes any sense given the information we've been given before. Trying to set up. Something saying all the dinosaurs will die if we don't rescue them from the island them all, they're on because right. there's a volcano. Despite that, okay, we already know there's another island. Despite we already know there's uh, samples on the mainland that, in fact, even in the same movie, they show us science labs on the mainland that have all this DNA. That, despite that, there's no way these characters would ever, ever go back right, to this island on. after now, their experience in the last movie. I'm going to jump in here. <laughs> and now, So this is a, eh, a half spoiler, but it happens in the first 15 minutes, so big deal. Um, so they do explain well or not that the reason why they're going to the island, fuck all the hippie shit, it's not about saving the dinosaurs. It's uh, we have a new venture that we want to get into, and it is cheaper to take the animals and sell them and use that as seed. No, no, no. Than it is the, to grow them from scratch. That's the villain's motivation. No, I, I am talking. That, that's what I'm saying. Everything else. But the, the primary ones, characters, their motivation is something they know goddamn well is not the case. Their motivation is entirely emotional. Ugh. Which, which you're makes, right. Once again, no sense for the female character who is like does not like dinosaurs. All right, so, in the so first, I, I'm going to say right now, I actually like this movie. Oh. Yeah, yeah, Chris, eat it, Chris. It so, um, <laughs> so like, uh, I can't defend a lot of it. Like, yeah, the the female character 
basically should have been a different actress and a different character. Uh, the characters are paper thin. The Chris Pratt character still has some questionable sexual politics uh, surrounding them. I'm, it's not as bad as Jurassic World 1, but there's still some things where it's like, dude, you're kind of a prick. I don't even care about that. He's just um, an unlikable character. And that there is a new character introduced who I'm not going to go into, like who is useless. Major character, entirely useless. Uh, a lot of other characters, I like the comedic sidekicks. I enjoyed them. I thought that the... The, oh my god, aren't dinosaurs beautiful moment in this was significantly better than part one. The, the Jurassic World part one, not Jurassic Park. Yeah, no, the brontosaurus in um, Jurassic and, and, Park. And is I, the best I also thing. think that a lot of the nods to the original films were better in this one. They were a lot more subtle. Where Jurassic World, they were like, dude, check this out. It's this thing from part one. Isn't that awesome? And no, it wasn't. Uh, but all, all that aside, I thought this was a lot of fun. And now this might be just a part of me going, it was dinosaurs and high budget, and I don't care that it's Jurassic World. It's just a action thriller, an action adventure movie, a la Romancing the Stone with dinosaurs. And isn't that fun? And that was what I wanted, and I got it. Um, so, like, I like the movie, but I acknowledge that it, it is a pale shade of what Jurassic Park was. I, I kind of wish that... This was just a different movie about dinosaurs, but I like where they set the world up too. Like I, I like all the weird genetic shit that they do, and I want there to be more of that. Dude, I found this so relentlessly yeah. dumb. Right, here, I, I will say this though, and, and, and I, I want to because the third act, which as if you couldn't thought things couldn't get any worse. I, I like in theory, and I like the idea that it's an intimate kind of horror film. But the thing that drives me crazy, and this is my biggest flaw with this movie, is for the fifth time, the movie becomes about dinosaurs running amok and, oh, the hubris of man, we never should have messed with it. And I think it would have been a far better film and a far better third act if the new dinosaur, who is the nemesis of the entire last half, was after the main characters, particularly that useless character. They even set it up that, yeah, this dinosaur is a weapon and we mark someone and they go after him. If instead of dinosaurs running amok, it had ended with, no, that useless character, they're relevant for this other reason. And so dinosaur kill them. And that's your last third of the movie. That would have made a far better third act. But that's not what we got. That's not what we got. You're right. We got I, a thing with headcanon that fills that in. Incredibly but, stupid people making incredibly sorry. stupid, unrealistic decisions in a way that that even like plausibly makes no sense at all to have even happened at all. Like, why would this be happening? And and then to add insult to injury. They, they're like, okay, we need to get out of the parks. We need to make this be a different thing. We need to have dinosaurs on the mainland, which I agree with. I agree with that totally. There need to be that, that they need to move out of the parks completely and make dinosaurs an issue in the real world, in the regular world. Quite frankly, right? this should have been what Jurassic but, Park wait, but, well, but hold on. Yeah, no, agreed. But like their way of doing it was, oh my God. I was like, that's where I was like, I fucking throw my beer at the screen. Fuck you. That makes no sense. You actually think we're going to go with you on this voyage of what you just did? No. Just 
I, I'm like, I, right now, I think Derek Connell and Colin Trevorrow are sociopaths for thinking that they thought that was an uh, uh, understandable human thing to happen. Well, I mean, clearly. I'm just like, like, what? The movie made a shit ton of money, so. Yeah, because like, it says it's called Jurassic World. So this reminds me, and you're going to call me a hypocrite, which is fair, because everything I like about Jurassic World was what I complained about The Nun, which we recently saw mm-hmm. on that review, where I was like, yeah, it's a stupid movie with a terrible scripts and this other stuff kind of works but i it didn't work for me there where it worked for me here because the nun wasn't reg but for me the nun wasn't regularly insulting your intelligence this regularly insults your intelligence it does things that don't make sense i I will say that i think this is the kind of movie that your average non-uber geek will enjoy a lot more than us film geeks will but i will also say this that I, i will agree with you I want Colin Trevorrow to get as far away from this franchise as possible. For all that I had fun with this, I recognize that it is flawed as all hell, and all of it, all of it can be laid at his feet. And so I want a new crew to start making I mean, it's movies. even more frustrating. They got a much better director, Jay Bona, Bayona, who's famous for doing The Orphanage, amongst other films. And he brings a very creepy, almost gothic-y type vibe <sighs> to the surroundings that looks cool, except it has no place in a Jurassic yeah. World film. I'm like, what are you doing? I just, I think it has, I think it would have worked in this if the script had been a lot better. Yeah. And, and like, Anyway. That's partly why I was into it. There's I'm like, excited for the next one, but but then again, they're talking about how the next one they're not going to have any of the genetic weird shit in it anymore. Yeah, and I'm like, that was that was what I liked. I liked you doing weird genre. Shit. I just want to get to the thing where it's like I want them to flash forward 50 years in the future where the military is u- actively you. using dinosaurs. Well, here's in what combat. I want to know though. So Jurassic World, Jurassic World two now, dinosaur movies. They make a billion dollars in theaters. How are they the only game in town? How are there not three other dinosaur franchises? I agreed. Like, you know what? I, I loved all the genre stuff in this. So how come there isn't a filmmaker our, out there making a weird, pulpy-ass Where's the remake of Carnosaur? Come on. That was a thing back in the day. You remember yeah. that when Jurassic Park came out, the direct-to-video equivalent was Carnosaur, which there's like three or four of them. Oh, my God. Which, the Carnosaur. first one wasn't bad. I've seen Carnosaur, yes. It's terrible, but it's not atrocious. terrible, terrible. It's about mutant chicken. Uh, yeah. But anyways, But sorry. dinosaurs are birds, so, so anyway. Like, I actually enjoyed this. It has some <laughs> merit, but it, it's not a good movie. Ejection just, seat. Ejection seat. It, it just, <laughs> the style worked for me, and that was enough for me. But I man, I do not fault anyone for hating this shit. My least favorite movie of the year. Um, there's wrong, a Chris. lot of bonus features on this thing, all of which are very short, but every little tiny detail that's in here. And that's fine. Uh, you know, that's how the way these big company releases go. Um, and there's like a conversational thing, even with the cast sitting around with the director and talking about like the whole series. And then the main thing people are going to want to watch, which they happens on almost every film with Chris Pratt is he personally goes and films a bunch of shit behind the scenes and sort of like goes, Hey, here's me talking to the guy who did these costumes. So there's like 12 minutes of, of him. Fucking maybe we'll get that. lucky. And the book of Henry will not only cost Colin Trevorrow his Star Wars career, but he won't be on the third Jurassic World. And we'll get some actual talented screenwriters to pair up with the weird shit that it's going into. Can we talk about a movie I liked a bunch more that somehow all the critics didn't go with me on? I'm still baffled on this. 
Like, cause it's like at 50 something percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm like, what is wrong with you people that you don't think tag was fucking hysterical? You know, like I thought it was really funny, but it wasn't a great movie. Wow. I don't and agree. So- but, so, so but then what again, it is, you like it's based off of a true kingdom, story, so. sort of. Uh, it's about a group of friends who started playing tag when they were like 13. Yeah. And as they got older, used tag as an excuse to maintain contact. And so for what, one to two months, I think one month out of the year. It's one month out of every year. They play tag. And they have been doing it until they're now they're all in there. Yeah, not like they're all just sitting in a field and doing but it. No, it's no, like, like they, one of those, like, like a month where you don't know. Your friend might be waiting outside that door for you to tag you. Or or they sneak into someone's office or yeah. show up at the birth of your child. Yeah, real story. Kind of up. These guys do but, this shit. But, yeah. but that's kind of the reasoning, like, we're afraid that if we didn't do this, we would lose touch with each other. Yeah, and that, that works. And so it's them now as fully functioning adults still playing this game. We find out that Jeremy Renner's character, who has never ever in their entire history of tag been tagged is going to get married and is going to retire. And they're like, now we know exactly where yeah, he's going to they be. They know he's going to, where he's going to be. They know when he's going to be there. And they're like, you know what? This is it. We're going to tag him. And yeah. That's the movie. Led, led kind of by Ed Helms, who is the one who's most determined that we guys, we have to get him this year. We, the other guys being John Hamm, yeah. Jake Johnson, uh, Hannibal Buress, and and really technically Isla Fisher, who is uh um uh, married to um, Ed Helms. Ed Helms. Yeah. Uh is Ed Helms? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh yes. who's like even more psycho into it than he is. <laughs> but they're like they're like previous like, well, it's just us, the old friends, and so like and she's like, It's no girls allowed, but that's fun, but well, fine. That, but. That's a great running gag too, because every time she shows up, they're like, Yeah, she, we don't really let her play because She's kind of scary. Yeah, she's like a but little too to into it. She's my favorite character in this whole thing, for the record. Uh, Hannibal Buress for me, but she was a close second. And uh, they're being followed around by Annabelle Wallace playing a Wall Street Journal uh, 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 journalist who kind of falls backwards into this being a thing. This story happening is like, no, I'm following this story. This yeah, she's is in story. an interview with John Hamm as yeah. the CEO yeah. when Ed Helms just bursts in all of a sudden. Yeah, to burst in to like, try and this tag is him. The story. And it's you know, following these guys in the quest to get him, and it's a goofy. You know, very Hollywood level, like, like ensemble comedy, like many others we've seen, uh, rated R comedies. But what I liked about this is it ended up going into a really dark corner and then it pulled itself out of it with a message that I found was completely charming and cool. You know, and that's, that's why I think this elevated itself beyond other comedies like this, where I was like, you went there. You went to the point where we're all like squirming, like, fuck, dude, this got really dark. It does get and super then dark. then it saved it. itself. And I was like, wow, you used that to get somewhere that actually made this about something. Well, and so I was mixed on the super dark turn it makes, but you are right. It... It goes dark, but it doesn't go, hey, this is a dark ending. Fuck you. Ha ha ha. Right, right. The end. It, it then shows why these guys really are friends. And Agreed. my biggest complaint to the movie was my own preconceived notions. The marketing leaned really heavy on Jeremy Renner, and he is 
a bit player in this. He's not like a, he's not in here as much as the other yeah, he, guys. He is. He's a side character. He has some really funny scenes. That's the whole point of him, and it works. But I went in expecting him to be the main character, and so that was a little abrupt and jarring. And there's a few times where the humor doesn't work as well. But like this felt like a perfectly fun go see it comedy movie that just wasn't great. Like, it was good. I enjoyed it. If we did star ratings, it would have gotten, like, a four out of five. But 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 it's not something that I'm like, wow, this is special to me. Uh, it was just really fun. Uh, there, The bonus features, there's a, a short bit, like, meeting the real guys. Uh, there's a, a lot of deleted scenes, and, and the gag reel is eight minutes. And the gag reel's really funny, which is uncommon these days. The gag reel's genuinely, like, watching these people who clearly really like each other and are having a lot of fun do it. So that's nice. Dude, it's got John Hamm in it. It's got Hamm. Who, by the way, there was apparently a running gag going on between the actors, including the female actors, of, like, SBDing during scenes. Like, they would intentionally try and silent but deadly fart during scenes. And then they'd be like, in the gags, there's people going, oh, Oh, uh, who did that? And several times it's John Hamm, which is hysterical. Yeah, like every single actor in this is an actor who I wish had a bigger career. Mm-hmm. Not to say that like John Hamm isn't big and Jeremy Renner isn't big, but I always want John Hamm to be like Tom Cruise level, where he's a huge A list. Feels star. weird that he's not. And, and like same with Jer- Jeremy Renner. Like all I mean, these actors, everybody are on right here, there, quality. Everybody actors. in here is pretty big, though. Yeah. Ed Helms is. Pretty big. He's in yeah. a lot of A-list films. I, I guess you're right. Jeremy Renner is in, like, the guy who usually plays a supporting character in A-list films, but he's in a lot of A-list films. John Hamm is one of the biggest TV actors of all time just due to one part that was that big, but it was that big. And well, he's and, slowly and making Hamm his is, way into being he's a Hollywood. still a high-profile actor, but I always feel like he's... A side character who's great in a good movie. I really have always wanted him to be like, no, this guy is a fucking huge A-lister who headlines movies and he's the star. I mean, Jake Johnson is an A-lister for television as well. Yeah. I mean, like, he's is aggressively moving into being a movie star now. Hannibal Buress, of course, is the ultimate cameo for comedies. If you've got a comedy, if Hannibal Buress isn't in it, you've done something wrong. This is true. And I forgot, Rashida Jones is in this and, as well. I do... I love the theory that Hannibal Buress was added after the fact into this movie, because like the way they edit it, he's he often is the only one on camera. So there are a lot of people who think they made the whole film and then just like no, no, we're gonna add him in. Uh, so next one you didn't see, they finally released the complete set of Masters of Sex, and I say finally because this show on Showtime, which was really good, they put out really pristine Blu-ray copies of the first two seasons, and then in America, they didn't even release the second two seasons. You're like, what? That's a weird choice, which happens sometimes. So now this is all four seasons, you know, with the extra features that were there with the original ones, but not as much for the second two seasons for the bonus stuff that's been put together by Mill Creek in a nice little, like, cardboard case that they all four slip in here, uh, loosely based on Thomas Mayer's biography of William Masters and Virginia Johnson, who are really kind of fascinating people, researchers of human sexuality at Washington University in Missouri, uh, starting around 1956, uh, the show and ending in 1969. Um, it's these people putting together theories of sex that were seem 
obvious now, but at the time we're like, oh, no, that can't possibly be, you know, things that are common, like that we go, oh, well, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like the Kinsey story. Yeah, it's, it's very the, closely these are those related people to people who finally went, wait, instead of sex being something that's shameful, let's actually sit down and figure out how it works. And they made a show that's funny. It's, it's, gets dark and serious. It's really smart. It's got a lot of sex in it. I mean, even if you're, you got the hots for Lizzie Kaplan like, like I do, I do, then you will not be disappointed with the amount of Lizzie Kaplan nudity in the show among, among many, many, many other characters. But it is not a show that's hanging on the erotic nature of it. It's there, but it's really more about the relationship between these two characters and how interesting it is. And the, one of the neat things is the third season takes a big jump forward in time. And then the fourth season does again. So it's like the first two seasons are kind of like one complete story. And then it's like five or six years later, which I would imagine that gives it almost like a biopic feel where it's not just the story, but let's talk about these characters over their lives. But there's a lot of interesting people who have appeared in the show over over time. uh, And it's, it was one of those, I was sad when it ended. And, uh, and part of the problem was like, I was watching this as they were sending them Blu-ray. So I watched the first two seasons excitedly and kept waiting for the third season, waiting for the third season, waiting for the third season. Then they're like, yeah, I got canceled. I'm like, oh shit. It's like, and there was a fourth season that came out. I was like, what? They never sent me the third season. (laughs) So now I'm excited to get the whole box set because I get to actually finally watch it, which is cool because like I said, there's such a big break between the second season in the third and fourth that I'm like, oh, well, I feel like I, I won't be going, shit, I, I, I forgot what uh, the stuff I missed because it's to admit that so much further in time. I don't think I've ever seen a single episode, but it's been on my list of must-see dramas behind Better Call Saul and Halt and Catch Fire. It's well done, sir. Uh, next up is Boss N-Word. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, no, okay. I, I was talking I'm with sorry. my wife that I was really nervous got, about how you were going to introduce I, it. I got to say it because it's... Like, I, I was told, I asked Corey Coleman, I was like, do I get a pass? And he's like, well, it's what the movie's actually called. Yeah. So as long as you, you know, say, it's, it's I'm the clear, title. the name of the film is Boss Nigger. Ugh. Right? I know. And, but this Blu-ray edition they put out, like, like, cowardly, says just Boss. Which, I mean... Yeah. We get it. But it was also known as the Black Bounty Killer, so why didn't you just change it to that? Although, I I will say I'm impressed that despite the fact that they, in my opinion, wisely took it off the cover of it, they still keep the name in the film print. Oh, yeah. No. Well, I mean, they're not going to CG it out, you know? It's like once you're in it, you're like – and clearly the word is used like – 400, more than oh. a Quentin Tarantino movie. It's used like over yeah, and over I, and over I, again I'm in the de- film. It's debatable whether or not it's used more in Django or yeah. this. It's, I'm not sure. But it's a central plot point. Anyway, the said plot. 1975 film western directed by Jack Arnold starring Fred Williamson, who is like one of the kings of black exploitation films, to be sure, who both wrote and co-produced the film himself. Uh, it was the first film he was in fact ever credited for as a screenwriter or producer. And it's like him and, and uh, Derville Martin... They're like two black bounty hunters, and they're whole, I love their explanation. They say, "Why are you guys black bounty hunters?" Like, well, we figure the white man has been hunting us for long yes. enough. We we turn it around and give it a shot ourselves. <laughs> uh, so they go out, they they hunt and kill white white villains, and they come into a town, a small town, to get their their bounty and find out there is no sheriff. So they're like, "Well, we're going to get our motherfucking money for these well, dead white dudes." Not only that, but there's a super high profile bandit who comes and visits pretty regularly too. Right. Well, we'll get there. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, and so they said, you know what? We're going to become sheriff and deputy because there is no sheriff and deputy. And we'll just start charging the town for everything until we get our money for the bounty and let them know we're not fucking around. You got to pay us. And the town, of course, is like in every Western, like this thoroughly corrupt and they're thoroughly racist. And what's funny is they start setting up fines. Like if you say the N word, it's an automatic fine or time in jail. If you're <laughs> rude to a, bl- a black guy, it's automatic timer. And it's one of those movies I'm like, why isn't anyone remaking this? Ugh. I was watching this going, this should absolutely be remade by Spike Lee or someone right well, now. They did the brilliant thing of, like, so we all know this is a black exploitation film going in. So even though it's a Western, the score is black exploitation cinema gold. Yeah. It sounds Good. like a 70s porn mixed with a crime film, and it works so well. Like, so th- this is one of the movies that I sat down and I took with me to my family over the weekend and was like, look, dad, all right, so I got to watch these movies. We can either watch this horror movie, which we'll talk about, this horror movie, which we will talk about, or this black exploitation movie, which is called Boss, but I'm not going to tell you the real title. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the hell Your dad's a grown-up. He would have enjoyed it. I thought this was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm much more fun than I, I really was expecting it to be because most of these type films, I'm always like, they're fun and conceit, but they get tiresome after yeah. a while. This one actually kept me going. I was like, this is a good time. It, so, like, so this this is up there to me with like the Sartana movies, which it's just a fun Western movie. But but it, one that's definitely a satire yes. of the spaghetti Western. Well, that's what I was going to say that happens to use the N-word a lot and has a really non-traditional score. Yeah. Uh, I, I think this is one of those ones I would recommend to anyone who's a fan of, of spaghetti westerns. It's definitely a send up of the spaghetti western and a send up of black exploitation, which makes it kind of doubly clever. It's nowhere near as good as I want it to be, but it's still pretty good. And it's, like I said, one of those great movies where you're like, I am startled that no one is remaking well, this film it, it, right now. So here's the thing that got me. Most of the time when you watch some of the exploitation cinema of this era, it. You can see why it has an audience because they have an interesting idea, but it's usually really slow and the pacing's not really great. And the one thing I can say, this movie had great pacing. I was never bored. I was never at a point where I wasn't being entertained. There's a decent passel of extras here of interviewing people who worked on this film, but the best part is a conversation with Fred the Hammer Williamson, uh, which is a th- almost 30-minute interview, which takes a look back at his whole career of working in black exploitation films, which is worth owning alone. Just for that. Anyway, let's move on to our next film, which is Bleeding Steel, which is sad to say the latest Jackie Chan film. Man, um, Jackie Chan be good. has been has never has not made a really essential film in a long time, but he's made some films I genuinely enjoyed in the last few years. This is not one of them. This is like superhero exploitation. Well, like, so I spent the first half of the movie going, okay, this is live action anime. Like, like, it feels like an adaptation of some batshit sci-fi anime series. And in the beginning, I was kind of into it based on that, because the movie goes hard on the melodrama and death in the oh, beginning. God, like, yeah. like, in the first 30 seconds of the movie, his daughter is dying, he's rushing to see her, he goes to an important call to save some scientist's life, and... 
as he's getting out of his car, gets a text that your daughter is dead. Like, yeah. like that's first minute of the film. Hooray, Jackie Chan fun movie. Yeah. And then what proceeds is a 10-minute just slaughter. And so I was kind of like, oh, this is cool. This is weird. And, and then it goes nowhere. It's just goofy and stupid. I mean, I can and- see people enjoying this on some level, except that... It doesn't have any of the qualities that we originally watched Jackie Chan films for. It tries to do the stunt sequence, but it's not a very impressive stunt. Nope. Uh, like it's like climbing down the side of the Sydney Opera House, Which but with a cable. And, and I'm like, there's okay. some cool shots. But yeah, it wasn't a great sequence. Um, and it's like cyborg people with superpowers versus him, and like. I don't know, man. It was like, it was him trying to make a superhero movie, but it's like he doesn't know what a superhero movie is because he keeps referencing superhero movies in it. Clearly, he thinks he's making a superhero movie, but you're like, no, dude, this is just a bad anime film. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't understand why you think this is a superhero well, movie. There's no reasons for half the things that happen on screen. It's just, it's just not worth the time. It, it isn't. Something about a mechanical heart and a dude who totally looks like a villain in any given sci-fi anime. Who's like who? half like metal. Oh, well, everyone metal looks up. like an anime character. Yeah, why there. is this character walking around with a cape? There's, there's no reason there's to... There's cross-dressing randomly. Where, and, and I don't mean like EA trans people or anything. Like, like literally, yeah. a guy pretends to be a woman to sneak in. And the moment you see him as a guy, when they stop using a female stand-in, yeah. it's like, no, you never would have you passed You were not that, that person. Yeah. And then later on, they they have one of the Asian actresses pretend to be one of the villains, who is a white woman. And it's like, you know, I'm, I have no qualms about casting people of different colors. I don't care. But that doesn't work because anyone would go, hey, Sheila's Asian now. That's weird. Yeah, that Let's was talk a, to that was a strange sequence. It's like, what are you guys thinking? There's so many things where you're like, like it doesn't work that way. What are you doing? It's just Chan is a like almost a billionaire. I think it's like first off. Dude, why are you still making these well, movies? Like, he, he and, some- and and you could be in anything. You could finance your own film and make an actually good film. Why are you making this shit? So he's he's done a couple of smaller movies. Like he did one with Pierce Brosnan that looks interesting, where he's like a father getting revenge, and he's done yeah, some wasn't things bad. like that. The Foreigner, that look, I think it was called. Yeah, that, that looked cool and looked like they might be special. I wish he would do. More smaller, more intimate movies. Yeah, or uh, or if he's going to do big action movies, he needs to work with somebody who knows how to make action movies. He keeps working with these people where I'm like, I get it. You're like, you know, you've made a lot of movies, but they weren't necessarily good. Like team up with someone who's like like Gareth Evans or someone. Like, oh, here is – I'm going to pay you $3 million to direct this film. Gareth Evans would be like, I'm going to direct a Jackie Chan film. Yeah. To, and like make a good thing, one. The the best thing I can say about this is in the 90s, this movie would have had extreme in the title. And all the good that comes with that and all the bad comes with that is in this movie. So if you like extreme cinema, I guess this movie might be for you. But if you don't, if you're the rest of us, just skip it. I still think the only way you should watch this movie is the Mountain Dew Red. Which yeah. is pretty extreme. There you go. <laughs> yeah. uh, next up is Gotham Season 4. I don't believe you've seen Gotham Season I am, 4. I, I'm in Season 2 of Gotham. I'm going to catch up at some point, but I'm I'm behind. 
You son of a bitch. Anyway, this is out on Blu-ray and DVD. I'm the guy. Me and Martin, as far as I know, the only... Oh, and Justin here from the side. The only people I know who still love this show. It's batshit insane. Like, if you'll excuse the pun. I I love the fact that the creators have seemingly gone, you know what? Fuck continuity. Just ignore it. We're going to reference it occasionally, but just... just Pretend well, no, none no, no. of that ever not happened. Not fuck continuity. And fuck let me have canon. Fun. Because canon. this is not canon. But, hey, hint, neither is any Batman film that's ever been made. Neither is any Batman animated series that's ever been made. Neither is any Batman animated film that's ever well, been but- made. Neither is literally hundreds of Batman graphic novels. And yet I still hear people complain like, well, that's not how it happened in the comics. I'm like, why are we having a hard time understanding that the comics continuity and anything else are not the same thing? Well, here's the, like, so I get it because they went with a take on the character and the characters, which is very different. And let's be honest, they probably should have made Gotham central. But well, no, that would have been a great, like, like Graham so, so awesome I, I show. I get those complaints. I, I wish it had been a Gotham. A lot of anticipation I get people for people who are like, "Not my Batman," because there's so much about this that's so very different from. Everything and I just don't get prior. being so precious but, about your Batman. But it doesn't mean that it's not good. Yeah, I like if this wasn't good, I would get it. Yeah, but everything I've seen, and I'll admit, I'm two seasons behind. But what I've seen has been phenomenal. This feels to me like prequel to Tim Burton's Batman, which everyone, generally speaking, kind of likes. But it has that kind of feel where it's like it's absurd. And these characters are all much bigger than life. And no, this is nothing like the continuity from the comic books. But I'm having a really good time watching it. I think it's absurd in exactly the right way. It's got a kind of 60s Batman feel crossed with really grim Violent, almost absurdly violent yeah. things happening. And I like that take on it. But anyway, enough defending it. I'm happy it exists. Yeah, I'm happy it exists too. And this introduces Sophia Falcone, who's like, of course, Fal- Falcone, who, of course, the daughter of the big crime lord from the first season. It introduces Professor Pig from Grant Morrison's run here, who's a pretty cool serial killer. Yet another Poison Ivy, because for some reason they can't keep a Poison Ivy cast member, but they excuse it by saying, like, she's still mutating or yeah, something. Yeah, they keep aging her up, don't they? But the best thing about this is the character uh, of Jerome, who is their analog for the Joker in this one. They won't call him the Joker. I think there's even a licensing issue there that they can't. Well, I so but, I've always taken it as... The Joker doesn't have an origin. Right. And because the Joker doesn't have an origin, we're never going to explicitly say well, this is the Joker's origin. Dude, even in the comics, there's been three different people yeah, who they yeah. say are three different men who've been the Joker, even oh, cotton, the, at right, the same that's time. Canon now. Yeah. Um, but, like, I like this version of it where it's like they're kind of doing Grant Morrison's version, like, like All Star Batman take on the Joker with him, like, cutting off his face and then. Paper clipping it back on. I type thought of it was thing. Scott Snyder's. Or Scott Snyder, yeah, I think it was Snyder. Um, and there's a thing where, like, he gets. Okay, so a little bit spoiler, he gets caught and, like, presumably killed. I'm not, I'm using that word because I don't want to spoil anything. And he's got, it turns out he's got a twin brother that part of his whole focus was trying to kill his twin brother, who was played by the same actor, but his twin brother's is like this super genius inventor who's trying to work for the benefit of all mankind. And that whole storyline goes. Totally crazy fun off the rails, bizarre. It's so much fun to watch. I, I love what they do. I think that the actor uh, Cameron Monaghan is one of those guys. I hope he 
continues to do more stuff because he is just a riot. He, he he's the he is the second most valuable player on the show after the guy who plays the penguin, who of course yeah. everybody loves. Um, uh, Bruce Wayne is still, of course, kind of annoying, like he always is. Uh, the, the you know he's not as bad as he was, but still, like, a lot of the stuff they're doing with there, like the Barbara Razal Ghoul arc, but that's playing into the next season, which is doing I forget the name of the run, which is basically Razal Ghoul takes over Gotham completely. Um, uh, but I, I think on the whole, this is a good time and I'm, 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 I feel bad for people who, because of whatever they're stuck on, can't get past those things and just enjoy the show for exactly what it is. Is it wrong that I'm actually happy it's ending because they're going yeah. like, no, no, we're ending it. This Coming is to it. a complete story. And then it's like, cool. It's not going to run on too long and oh. overstay its welcome. And it's like, like, yeah, I can enjoy the superhero show should have a five season rule. Yeah. In general. There should be like five seasons and then that show is done. Those characters could continue on if you wanted to do like CW verse and have continuing shows. Like, okay, Arrow should have been done seasons ago. Oh, but it would have been nice to have Arrow show up every once in a while in Flash or Super. You know what they can do then? Just saying. Recast Bruce Wayne. Not that that actor doesn't do a good job. Make him an adult. Do the show, but like 20 years later and do, <laughs> do Gotham Central. <laughs> Well, let's talk about our next movie we both did see, and I suspect this is one of those movies that Aaron really didn't care for, uh, and that is called Higher Power. I keep trying to remember the name of the video game this reminds me of. There's a game where it's kind of the same thing, where this person gets, like, who's just an innocent guy, but he gets through a scientific thing that's out of his control, gifted with incredible, like, godlike superpowers, and ends up just destroying the fuck out of everything. Prototype. This reminds me of Prototype. You know what this reminds me of? What? The three-episode arc in season one of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that did it better. All right. (laughs) I I think that I enjoyed this to some degree. I mean, it's made for a million dollars, and yet... The effects aren't bad at all. all right, it's partially because so, the guy directing it is a longtime visual effects artist, and he knows exactly how to stretch a million dollars. So here's my take on this movie. Um, this is the second of the many movies I'm going to be talking about tonight where Jesus fucking Christ pulled the camera back, please. Uh, <laughs> they shoot it way too close. And the this movie also does the thing that I really don't like, which is... The story is built... Actually, let me jump back. So the story is about a washed-up, shitty dad yeah. who has ruined any relationship he had after he his life spiraled out past his wife's dying. So Yeah, ruined he, his relationship with his daughter. There is him. an unknown group who is tracking him, and they basically... Stick a robotic implant in his head so that they can see everything, i.e. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and make him do a series of escalating fucked up things. Uh, and ostensibly to do something. Sure. Which I don't want to get into that because that's part of what's cool about this movie. It's where they go with it. But... <laughs> It's that idea of, hey, here's this innocent person. Let's torture them to better the world or better their life. It's I hate that storyline. I don't like it. I've never seen it done well. I, mean, I don't. I, I feel like and, I don't even think they have sympathy for the storyline. I don't think you're supposed to. I, I th- I'm certain that you're not supposed to like the villain 
for what he's doing. But the problem is there's no comeuppance for it. No. Well, there's no it, sense of that. There's no, they, He never feels rewarded for it or anything. But at the same time, it's kind of the story is so not about that. It's kind of like goes, but somebody had to do it. Well, see, here, here's the thing. It, it's a sci-fi film, and I want it to be a horror. I think that this would have worked a lot better the exact same story, yeah. but gear it more towards oh, a feel of I a agree. horror movie. But they wanted- Maybe even, instead of being so energy-based, it was a little bit more bio They wanted to do high-concept sci-fi. Yeah. And what they ended up with, because of the type of film they've got here, is no. It's, like I said, it looks like prototype the game to me, where it's just, like, lots of super flashy lasers and explosions in the last act, and, like, like godlike beings jumping around and well, flying and around so the city. Prototype did the bio-horror <laughs> angle of it. And that worked. Right. Now, here's what I will say, though. The last act of this movie is legitimately <clears throat> good. Uh, it gets a lot more that's effects the point based, where I got back into it. And once the effects get involved, they pull the camera back and you can see what happens. Yeah. There's a really atrocious twist that kind of occurs later on towards the end. Well, one, if you didn't see coming, you're an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah from, come on. So obvious. So incredibly and, obvious. And dear Lord Almighty, I feel like the guy made a black and white film because so much of the color is leached out. This is just the most monochromatic, just... Color free movie, but that being said, like it's okay. Just I, I couldn't get past them shooting it so close, it being so color free. Like, it's like it's weird that it starts with the whole the world is ending. This is for certain going to happen. There's gamma rays from space, and soon the world will end. And then let's completely forget about that until it comes time for the twist at the yeah. very last ten minutes of the movie. Like, I feel like this is a great test bed film that maybe a better director, uh, a higher budget, or uh, later on if this does seemingly well, this guy could remake basically and do a better job of it with lessons. Possibly, learned. I think this is a, a admirable effort from a first time director yeah. though. Where I'm like, okay, you showed you can really stretch a budget when it comes to special effects, and the special effects don't look bad at they all. They do not. The, They're they, pretty they impressive, um, all things considered. Uh, it's uh, the acting is spotty. Yeah. Although there are some really good actors in this, like Calm Fior playing the kind of villainous type guy. Um, he's flat out Shakespearean. Yeah. Well, he's been in a lot of Shakespeare, yeah. so. But ultimately, this does feel like one of those sort of films that, like, maybe this guy will go on, this director will go on to much bigger things, and we'll go back like, did you ever see his first movie? It was all right. It's okay. It's okay. But nothing to run out and see, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then we have The Flash Season 4. Oh, my God, Aaron, I'm going to spoil everything for you. Did you know that The Flash dies in the Speed Force at the end of Season 3? I actually do. God damn it. I was looking forward to spoiling that for you. Sorry. No, no. I'm. Th- this is the season that I'm like three episodes into. Oh, okay. When I, so, like, I kind of got to this era and then went, wait a minute. I hadn't watched Arrow in a long time. And I'm still catching up to Arrow before I finish Flash and Supergirl no, and Legends of Tomorrow. Fair enough. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the Flash has had a rough... Last had a rough third season for sure. I think the first season one and season two are great, are phenomenal. And season three is rough. They hate to break it to you, so is season four, with one exception. 
Ralph motherfucking Dibney, who is the best addition to this universe. And at first, you're going to be like, really? Ralph Dibney? You is like? he Plastic Man? Yeah, he's Plastic Man. Okay. And you're like, he's really annoying at first on this season, where he's like, he's like this, he's a jerk. And like a really kind of very non-Me Too, very like, you know. But the show Dibney. finds a way to make him the guy you like the best on the whole show who does the whole noble sacrifice and all that stuff. And you're just like, dude, you're awesome. You know, um, that's the best thing that this season has going. Other than that, it's about Clifford DeVoe, AKA the thinker played by Neil Sandilands. Who's like his whole power is he's really smart. Which I always Which, hate that. You know what? That's Go your for magic. For having a nod speedster. Yeah. Well, that was their whole thing. They advertised hard. No nod speedster this season. We're like, and then you get the thinker. And you're like, yeah, really? The thinker? Villain. I was like, why aren't you taking any of the rest of the rogues gallery and making them a primary villain instead of just one shots? Like Mirror Master always should have been a primary season run theater. Some, take a B-list villain and then treat him seriously and make him scared. But in the Flash books, they're not B-list. Yeah. Those are A-list villains in the Flash universe. You're like, why are you treating them this way? Mirror Master, when done right, is fucking creepy as yeah. shit. Yeah, he is. You know? Captain Boomerang is a mass-murdering serial killer. But they're not really treating him that way on It's interesting. Show. Captain Boomerang is always my go-to for taking a, a so-so character and treating them... With seriousness, making a great villain. But there is good stuff that happens in this season. Overall, it's it's better than season three. I will certainly say that for sure. Katie Sackhoff plays a reoccurring role here as Amunet, who actually has one of the bonus features here specifically discussing uh, commentary on this character. But I'm not really sure what she added to the season as a character. She's fun to watch, but you're kind of like, why are you here? Like, you really feel like, well, we just wanted, we had a chance to get Katie Sack off. We had to have something that she could do. I think the problem with all of these DC shows is that they have two to three seasons of quality story in them. And they haven't thought out that far. And so with Arrow, now with Flash, God, I hope not with Supergirl, we seem to get to a certain point, and then, like, clearly they're just hungering for ideas and just waffling without ever landing on anything good. I, I, I keep saying this. I wish the Belanceyverse, they would do three seasons of a character at most. And then move on to a completely brand new character and have those previous actors still exist in the universe to show up. Agreed. That would be so good. Because then we would have had three tight, well-constructed seasons instead of what I will say, though, the crossover between all the shows, which, by the way, this one has all the episodes from the other one. one, The Crisis on Earth X is the best crossover they've done. Crisis on Earth X is Badass. I'll agree. I, I watched that for Supergirl. I loved it. Yeah, it's so good. Like, like the whole like evil Nazi Earth. It's just yeah. fun with evil version Nazi Supergirl and it's Nazi just Flash such a cool idea. Like, yeah, I mean, it's an obvious idea, but it doesn't. But come on, it's, it, it's always fun to watch. I don't care what universe you're playing with. I mean, I would have watched that on Gossip Girl. You know, if they did well, like it was evil Nazi Gossip Girl universe because of World War II. We had Nazis as great villains for so long, and now because of the white supremacists, Nazis could be. Villains again. It's so awesome. Is awesome the word we were looking for there? Well, I mean, it's shitty for our world, but it makes for great television. Well, because once again, despite the fact I said I wasn't going to let this happen, it's happening. We are going to divide this up into two episodes. Because we're already at an hour, Aaron. 
Because we both like to talk. It's what we do. So, episode 194 will be the rest of the shit. You know what? This is it. I'm just going to call it. I'm the new always co-host of Digital Knowledge. <laughs> it's starting to feel that way, right? You're just like, wow, like four or five episodes in a row? I promise the Joe episode is coming up soon. Uh, in fact, um, uh, 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 like several of our other people that we've had in the past are like, I'm thinking about coming back. I'm That'd like, be great because because yeah. I never listen to my own episodes because I've already seen them. Yeah, and You're so like, I, I haven't said those listened words. to it forever because I yeah I saw that movie. I know what I feel about it. But yeah, uh, tune in. I won't probably won't wait a week week to put up the next one. I'll probably just wait like two days or so to put up the next one because I'll be cramming in a bunch of stuff. Fantastic Fest right around the corner. You're watching me in crunch mode right now. But we have a lot of cool stuff to talk about in the next episode, including the Freedom Fighters. The Ray, which is set in the Arrowverse, Supergirl, um, maybe the goriest movie we've ever talked about, The Song of Solomon, uh, the first season of The Terror, uh, Bram Stoker's Shadow Builder, which I'm going to say right now, it's kind of entertaining. Yeah. And the worst film Terry Gilliam ever made. I'm not going to tell you what it was. You have to wait to see. But the worst movie he ever made. Like... And, uh, oh man, I hate it so much and I love that guy. Anyway, thank you for listening. And, uh, uh, I feel like we should say, we always say on Deliberations of Doom, keep screaming. We'll say, keep streaming. <laughs> <laughs>